This is The Guardian. Hi, Pod fans. Max here. Uh, just to say uh, that today's Guardian Football Weekly is an EFL pod with a bit of community shield. Um, the Guardian Women's Football Weekly will be dropped onto this feed, and that will, of course, look back on England's faultless, seamless uh, victory over Nigeria in the last 16 of the Women's World Cup. I uh, hope you enjoy this one. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. The EFL is back and we're going to do our preview pod of the season after one game, forcing our panel to rip up the previews they did last week and base the next 45 games on what happened this weekend. So whoever manages Watford will take them back to the Premier League. Barnsley will score 322 goals this season. Poor Port Vale. Cambridge will win the playoffs and Wrexham and Notts County are going down or something like that. And just to be completely clear, if we don't mention your club, it's because we have a deep-seated agenda against them and not because we have an hour to discuss all of this and the Community Shield. Arsenal win that on penalties. They definitely cared. But does anyone else? We'll credit Aaron Ramsdale, both for his performance and for that article he wrote the other day. We'll talk injury time, take your questions, celebrity neighbours, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today from Not The Top 20 podcast, George Ellick, hello. Hello, Max. We'll get on to you have the bragging terrible rights. weekend. <laughs> Yes, I do. And you know, it's very rare, actually, that bragging... I've always found bragging rights the most ridiculous phrase in football, as if, you know, we're all turning up together at the office. But for the first time in a long time, I do. And I'll save that for the League One part. Ben Fisher, welcome. Hi, Max. And uh, Sunny Rudravalajula. Hello, mate. Uh, hello, Max. You, you dropped a bombshell just before recording, and we'll get to that at the end of the pod. Uh, Thomas says, Barry's still in pre-season training, not ready for 90 minutes. Absolutely correct. Uh, we, we cryogenically freeze Barry every summer, and just he's just thawing uh, for Wednesday. Um, uh, let's start with the championship then. What, Ben, for you was the, the standout of the day? Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it was spread across three days, so we had a full weekend bonanza. I mean, Sunday was... Um Pretty packed. Obviously, started. I was at Leicester, Coventry, midday kickoff, sort of lesser spotted midday kickoff on a Sunday. You sound unhappy about that. Well, no, it was, I, I quite liked it actually. You know, early start, early finish, and all that. No, because um, the M sixty nine derby, isn't it? It is. There were some very uh, sort of crass signs uh, on the M sixty nine itself en route. So um, always good to see. Leicester, I thought, were, were pretty lucky, to be honest, to uh, to get the win, obviously, which they wanted. I was really impressed with Coventry, has to be said. Obviously, playoff finalists in May. thought they played some really good stuff. And uh, Gustavo Harmer, uh, just brilliant again. I mean, um, Maresca, after sort of singled him out, and I think he said he was maybe the best player in the division. I don't know if he's about to make a move for him or maybe just really likes him. But um, no, Coventry were really good. And I think that it was a really good game, actually, because I was at... Uh, I took a sort of busman's holiday to Bristol City Preston on Saturday, which was not a very good game at all. So it was quite uh, refreshing that Leicester Coventry served up a bit of a treat. And then obviously we had um, Leeds Cardiff as well, which which was good. One of the sort of standout things for me, Max, I suppose, was Archie Gray, 17, making his full debut for Leeds, uh, carrying on the, the Gray dynasty uh, up at Elland Road, son of Andy. Obviously, Eddie managed for the club, played for the club. And he, he was really impressive. I mean, for, for a teenager, he, there's this clip of him after Leeds score, uh, 95th minute equaliser. And Archie Gray, 17, is pushing, you know, experienced players back on the pitch saying, we can still do nothing it. Nothing silly next five. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nothing silly next five in stoppage time now kind of means a whole new thing, doesn't it? But um, yeah, it does. 
it was uh, you know some yeah some good moments. But Archie Gray definitely uh, maybe one of the the pick of the the weekend. Uh, George, of those teams that have gone down, then Leicester lead Southampton, and a lot of the questions around Leicester and Southampton are you know will this squad still be there come the end of the window? Who who, who having watched one game and given what they've done over the summer, you, do you think has the best shot? Um, well, I mean, before the, the opening weekend um, in our, our 1-24s, we had Leeds winning the league. And, and part of the reason for that is because even though they may not have the star quality of the likes of Madison and Barnes, they've obviously already moved on. Ward-Prowse, who's, who is still at Southampton, uh, albeit how long, we don't know. Lavia, you know, the, the, the profile of the, the best Leeds players, the likes of Somerville, Nonto, Sinistiera, they're probably just that level below where actually a season in the championship might be the best thing for their career and their development. And even though Leeds were the only team to drop points, you saw in flashes. I mean, Nonto was... Um, looking seriously lively. I think he'll have a, a, a great season in the second tier if he stays there. Um, so it all kind of depends on on who, you know, especially with Southampton, they managed to retain. You know, When the team came out on Friday night for their game against Sheffield Wednesday, it's a total joke of a first eleven, to be honest, at, at second tier level. Um, the players like Walker-Peters, James Ward-Prowse, who are being regularly selected for England squads recently, you know, there still is the assumption, I think, within most parts of the Southampton fan base that they will move on. But at this stage, they're still there. And they put in a really good performance against um, Wednesday, completing the most passes in championship history in the first half, which I thought was a nice niche stat to come away from. Um, Leicester have lost, you know, Barnes and Madison. They brought in players like Winks and Cody. You know, I, I personally am I'm not a massive fan of Premier League relegated clubs going out and getting kind of struggling top tier players on, on big wages and big money. It isn't really a blueprint that necessarily always works, but in Enzo Maresca, they've got a, a coach who clearly has a, a very clear I you know style of play. He's worked under Pep Guardiola. He's worked under George Sampaoli. He's best mates with Roberto De Zerbi. So, you know, if you can get managerial genius through osmosis, then he'll be absolutely fine. Um, but, but whether or not we'll, we'll see that come to fruit in their performances, we'll see. So, it's early um, is what I'm trying to say. I think we'll know much more when we see what the squads are like at the end of the uh, at the end of the month. But um, yeah, all three sides coming down, looking to play certainly very possession-based and expansive stuff and um, none of them keeping a clean sheet, but two of them getting a win. And actually, Sandy, Southampton in that first half, and they were sort of taking the piss. Well, I mean, it was just like, it was it was sort of like watching Brazil in a pre-season friendly. And then, and then to, to actually n- not win it comfortably, I don't know if it's a worry, but I was sort of surprised. I actually went to bed at half time because <laughs> I'm just generally exhausted. But I was like, well, they're going to absolutely smash this game. Yeah, I love how you've brought up a Brazil comparison for the EFL already. That's the sort of yeah, the sort of uh, commitment you want, and that you know, sort of. I, I did actually, I did actually at one point at the Abbey try to start the chant of it's just like watching Brazil when I think we we completed about four passes, which is very rare for Cambridge. Uh, <laughs> when I also do keep the ball quite well, but but um, I was in the prawn sandwich box. So oh, I mean no that's never really going to go down well, is it? Exactly. Anyway, sorry. Um, but yeah, 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 you're right, and. It's one of those where you see that first half and you think, you know, Premier League players, parachute money, all that, they're just going to run away with it. But this is this is what the EFL does to you, especially now with the the extra long matches, which I'm sure we'll get onto. Um, you know, it becomes a bit of a leveller. And, you know, when's they're going to need that home support to kind of push them through? Obviously, their players aren't anywhere near as good as Southampton's. But um, th- this is why the EFL's, you know, so exciting, you know, and it's not quite the same as the Premier League where Vieira gets sacked when with Palace 12th and they haven't won in like months and months and months. So actually there's a load of teams that are not very good 
the there are a lot of teams here that are all kind of at the same level but but half decent if that makes sense so um yeah i quite enjoyed it and it was quite nice to see wednesday get back into it i guess even though the whole situation around sacking darren moore was in my opinion a bit of a mess but yeah uh i can't see anyone but southampton going up that was weird wasn't it D- does anyone know any more like that sort of the, the Sheffield Wednesday chairman, George, said that Darren Moore had asked for sort of 400% pay rise or something, which is quite a lot, isn't it? I mean, we'd all like it, but I, I don't know if you know any more. Well, it, it's who you believe. I don't think it's in Darren Moore's um, personality to come out and you know, send, write a long statement, um, re- you know, replying to, to Mr. Chancery's um, claims. There was a, an amazing wrinkle to this was, uh, Carlton Palmer, who's obviously a mate of, of Darren Moore, decided to Google what is the average wage for a championship manager. And, and all of us know that in Google, if you make a typo, it's absolutely fine because it just carries on searching for whatever you want it to search. But, uh, but Carlton Palmer went even further by screenshotting the results and keeping his typos in there. So you can see that what he's typed into the Google bar is complete gibberish. And then he's used that as his reason to, to, to say why, why Darren Moore should have kept his job. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to say. I, I personally am of the opinion that if you are a manager and you get 96 points in a season, which is a club record, and you achieve your goal of winning promotion, you're probably in line for a pay rise. In Cisco Munoz, um, they brought in a manager who won a promotion with Watford, but it was a very different job where he, he replaced Vladimir Ivic, who was a very stony-faced fairly negative um, manager who fell out with Troy Deeney, which I think at Watford at that time was was basically spelt at the end straight away. And, and Munoz came in and his job was basically just to smile and put his arm around Deeney and make everyone feel good. Um, he, But the problem he's got at, at Sheffield Wednesday is he replaces someone who was already very smiley and Darren Moore and everyone already felt very good. So he needs to show a bit more than just, than just being a good bloke. And, you know, even though they came close to getting a point, Wednesday looked very, very limited. They, they scored one goal, a good finish from a set piece. Lee Gregory getting to show off that he's had his teeth done over the summer with some unbelievably pear- pearly whites. Uh, yeah, a late, a late goal from Che Adams got the points for Sampton. They probably deserved it on the, on the balance of play. Yeah, I think we sort of, de- Carlton Palm probably typing quickly. It's, it's written, would Jat, so a J instead of an H in the what, would Jat foe managers earn in the Chan Puan ship? But yeah, I mean, I, I, I still think you'd get a, a reasonable result from that. Um, Watford smashing QPR. I love that you go into a season, Ben, with hope. And you th- even if you don't have a lot of hope, you know, and QPR, we know it's a bit of a mess. And like, it's not really working for Gareth Ainsworth. But for 33 seconds, you know, just go, oh, well, that's it then for this year. And then they were hammered all in the first half. Like by half time, you're sitting there going, what are we even doing? Yeah, bit of a bit of a mood killer. I um. I worry about Ainsworth and, and QPR a little bit. Um, at the outset, I said, you know, I think they, they've struggled to be right down there. And obviously the opening day defeat suggests that certainly that will be the case. And it just feels like he's he's been there a little while now and nothing has really changed. The squad is is thin. Um, it's, not, it's not good enough, I don't think. And I think everything he had at Wickham and everything that made Wickham so good is just... It's not really, uh, we're not seeing any evidence of it at QPR. It was a very, it's always going to be a shift in a, in a change when, when they went for Ainsworth, obviously a former former player there. Very popular, but it does feel a bit like he's already having to kind of plead with the fans to, you know, we'll get it right, we'll get it right. And it, I just don't like the the noise. I really want it to work, um, but I, the noises don't feel um, feel great to me already. And it's, uh, yeah, a bit of an ominous start for QPR who have, a lot of work to do before what is it second of september if they're to uh, have any chance yeah just on on ainsworth 
uh, I don't know if any of you caught his post-match interview, which went on um, on social, and he gave like three and a half minute rambling answers to to questions like, you know, what's your assessment? And it was just this on and on and on. Like he just talked himself into this little corridor before you know it. He's saying, we might have seen, we might have seen the league winners. And, you know, we've got, you know, we, had, we showed really positive signs. You lost, you lost 4-0. Like, you know, you're really spinning and trying to work the, the cogs really hard here. Uh, it was a bit worrying, actually. Just, you know, uh, whenever you're in that situation where you ask a question and then, you know, you almost forget what your question was because you've just been bamboozled by all this line of stuff from the manager. And uh, but there really wasn't anything to it, and just the nature of it. You know, was, there wasn't really any control in what he was saying. Um, yeah, I think he's he's got a lot of work to do, uh, Gareth Ainsworth. But you know, he probably deserves that opportunity because uh, what he did at, at Wickham with the support he had at Wickham has shown he can do can do good things. Problem he's got is the the fixture list has not been kind to Gareth Ainsworth. You know, a trip to Watford on opening day, they've got an easier game on paper ho- uh, away. At, well, still away from home, but at Cardiff um, next Saturday, and then after that, it's Ipswich, Southampton, Middlesbrough, Sunderland. I mean, it's it's basically all teams who it's expected to be in the top six or seven. And I, I interviewed Gareth at the EFI launch day on Wednesday, and he was positively bouncing about proving people wrong. It hasn't taken a, a, the best start. Um, and you know, I hope for his sake that he's still there after that Borough game. But it's going to be uh, tough to about to to amass the points necessary. I think you mentioned Ipswich there, uh, George Ben. What do you rate of their chances? A big win at Sunderland, that isn't it on the opening day? I thought Sunderland were the better team for the bits I saw of it uh, for a long for long periods, certainly in the first half. Um, Ipswich, I I do think will will do well, and I think they're more than comfortably stay up. I, I'm not sure how high I can see them going. Uh, I think they're. I don't know. I think I think them and Plymouth. Obviously, Plymouth beat Huddersfield. Uh, I think those both those coming up um, are very well organised. They know they know the system. The players. There's a lot of sort of familiarity there, um, and I do like what they're doing. Um, I think Ipswich could. I don't know. I, I think they're a little bit short of where they would need to be if they're going to be sort of around the playoffs. But um, they they certainly have a lot of very good players. They spent a lot of money in League One. I don't think we should be sort of surprised that, that they've come up with a, with a good team and a team that's better than just capable of staying up. Um, obviously, Kieran McKenna's a very uh, exciting coach, still very sort of young in his managerial career. Um, but I do think for Sunderland, there's actually a lot of really good signs as well. I suppose the question for them is as well, are they maybe going to be a, that's a little touch naive as perhaps that was their sort of undoing last season when they lost to Luton. But uh, I'd be optimistic about both Sunderland and, and Ipswich, to be honest. Um, and amazing attendance as well. You know, opened, I think it's over 40,000 again there. Joe Bellingham, really impressing, uh, which is really exciting for the league. And I do, yeah, I really like Tony Mowbray. Just, just after on the, on the subject of time wasting, it just made me laugh because it sounded like he was sort of talking about, I don't know, I made a note of some of his comments and he said... Um, says stuff like, what is going on? Surely it's got to calm down. What is happening in the world? And it just made me think, it's almost like he was talking about global warming, but it was in fact uh, 13-minute stoppages. So He was reading the lyrics to Where Is The Love by the, by the Black Eyed Peas, which was a song written about far too much injury time. And we might as well cover that, George. Well, I mean, it's, it's coming in, it's, it's here now, and it's probably accurate, but like, there's just part of me that just doesn't want any. Should never be more than less than three, and never be more than six. That's how I like life to be. I don't need the ball in play. You know, when someone says the ball's only in play for forty-four minutes, you're not getting your money's worth. I don't want any more. Like that's enough. That's fine for me. 
I think, I mean, I, I disagree where I think the fact that it wouldn't really matter what would happen in a game and you could basically always guarantee, unless there'd been a serious head injury, you were going to get two minutes in the first half and probably around four. Having said yeah. that, you and I, I think, were the only game in the whole of the England where when the board went up and it was six minutes, everyone was kind of surprised by how little time there was added on given there'd been a head injury and about yeah. eight subs just before. But um, yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, I think the important thing to remember is that the whole point of this and the reason why we're seeing 13 minutes in some games, the rest of it, like it's meant to serve as, first it's meant to be a fair reflection of the amount of time the ball's in play, but it's also meant to serve as a deterrent to those who want to time waste and those who use, you know, little injuries here and there to, to buy more time in the game. And that has to be a good thing. You know, if, if you're if you're a player, you would much rather be playing during the minutes of 80 to 85, 85 to 90 than you would 95 to 100, where it's going to get more nervy. So I think naturally, the, 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 the more harshly they implement it, the you know by going by the letter that should in itself see a change in in, in the way that the behavior of players you know we saw two yellow cards within 25 minutes um in that opening night on friday night for kicking the ball away you know, lee gregory basically rolled the ball about four yards and, and he still got a yellow card um but then what tony mowbray got so annoyed about and what i got annoyed about as well on friday night is how stupid it is to go we're going to do this 100 percent. we're going to add nine on we're going to add 13 on and then when it gets to nine minutes or it gets to 30 minutes the referee blows the whistle as if there wasn't any added on time within added time like it just makes a mockery of the whole thing like, if you're going to do this do it properly um as i said i was one of those culprits who i, I had an, i had a train earmarked from cambridge back to finsbury park and missed it because of the um you know the longer time it takes you know now, you're now not leaving football stadiums until like 10 past five but really, just you know, I'm not really too fussed by that. I think at the end of the day, we want to stop time wasting. Want to stop players looking to gain advantage by doing that. And in time, this will be the way to do it. If we have to hurt for a bit, then maybe that's okay. Yeah, Mark said, you know, with the amount of injury time being added, will the fourth official have to hold up the board again to so much extra injury time is being added to the injury time, Sani? Well, well, just a deal in, in facts, to quote Rafa Benitez. Um, the Sheffield Wednesday-Southampton game, Ball was in play for 69 minutes and 33 seconds. And only one championship game last season uh, was in for over 66 minutes. So already it's kind of shown that you do get more football. Um, And, you know, look at at League Two, where the average number of minutes last season that the ball was actually in play was 48 minutes. You know, you're getting half a game. So, yeah, George is right. Hopefully over time, this will even itself out in in players will realise you can't be faffing around and wasting time. And we're in this kind of weird phase where Tony Mowbray is wondering about what the purpose of life is. But eventually things will kind of calm down and we're just in that weird little shuffly period where everything has to change. A word of warning as well to to those who um, weren't to the game on Saturday and who, like me, when they see the ball flying out of the stadium, take that time to check their phone, read their messages, see what the scores are elsewhere. Can't do that anymore because there's multiple. So I, I, I kept looking up, thinking, uh, when's the throwing going to happen? It turned out the ball was on the other end of the pitch because they've now got the balls on the cones around the uh, around the pitch. So, yeah, beware. I do like the ball going out of the ground, though. I mean, at the Abbey, that can happen. I think my favourite <laughs> favorite moment in that game, George, which we're obviously talking great details, I think your left-back just, at one point, just kicked the ball about 200 yards in the air and then it hit <laughs> yeah. someone else and went out for a throw-in. I was like, that's why I love League One. Anyway, I, um, Ben, is there anyone we haven't mentioned in the championship whose fans will be particularly annoyed that we haven't mentioned them so far? I mean, wow, Stoke had a really good win, opening day win, 4-1 against Rotherham. Um, an awful lot of change there. I think it's 11 new signings. My favourite of which, I don't actually think he played on the weekend, I don't think he's up to speed yet, is, is Wesley, the uh, 
once only three, what, four years ago record signing at Villa 22 million I think they cost him or he cost uh, them almost that signing almost sums up the uh, the change I mean just yeah quite a radical change I think Stoke for last few years have spent quite a lot of money uh, trying to get back up hasn't worked different managers hasn't worked Alex Neil, very good manager up until now you know hasn't really happened so maybe this will be the season and certainly with a 4-1 win to to kick off, perhaps, um, perhaps this could be it. But yeah, a lot of change for the back five with the new signing. So um, yeah, very different Stoke team this season. Well, Blackburn Rovers actually had a, a really good showing against West Brom, winning two one. And uh, Harry Leonard was the scorer, only nineteen years old. He'd uh, uh, done really well in like Premier League two. Um, I actually tweeted at the time when he came and made his debut was at, uh, against um, Huddersfield last season. It was nine goals, four assists in fifteen games. A lot of hope on him. Nearly scored in his debut. He did score his first ever goal. And when you think that uh, Rovers have lost Ben Brereton-Diaz, Bradley Dax also gone, you know, they're, they're really having to cut the cloth accordingly and, and tip to not do very well. Um, actually showed pretty pretty positive signs. And if they've got these young players who can who can do the business, then they might be uh, a bit of a surprise. Um, on the other hand, West Brom were fairly poor at times, giving away the second goal straight from the restart is not what Carlos Corbran wants. He, he got sent off as well in that. And, um, you know, in our, in our WhatsApp chat, we were, we were discussing a bit about why, why he didn't do the post-match interview. And I just thought he had a bit of a, a hissy fit, but that's also part of the new rules. So if you get sent off as a manager, you don't need to do your media stuff anymore, which, you know, if I think back to my times, my run-ins with Harry Kuehl at Oldham Athletic, waiting for two hours in the freezing cold, like I'm pretty sure he would go out of his way to get sent off. So <laughs> this is another thing that's going to end up happening, I'm sure. With that, I just think it's interesting that they're not even allowed to do club media um, if you've been sent off, which I just, yeah, I mean, it, it's quite uh, it's quite bold, I suppose, of, of the, uh, the rule makers to decide that. I know... Certainly, I'm not going to name any names, but I know there's a couple of suspects. I'm sure listeners can guess who were not too uh, enamoured with the rule changes and uh, the, the lack of freedom of speech and stuff. So a bold choice by the decision makers to, to not allow even the, the internal club media to take place if you've been sent off. Is, it, is this going to replace how, you know, we always speculate about players who want Christmas off? Yeah. And suddenly you'll see a manager be like, oh, he's got a party tonight, hasn't he? He wants yeah, to get out of there. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's the next culture wars. <laughs> Freedom of speech is now extended to managers club doing club video. I always think managers don't want to talk to the really chirpy person on their own social media. <laughs> Before we end the championship, I, I, I went on to Plymouth, who... It was a great win and their second goal from a, a lad called Mumble is like John Barnes at the American Art. It was brilliant. And also Millwall had a really good win, didn't they, George, uh, at Middlesbrough? Yeah, a massive win uh, and especially poignant one as well. John Berylson, their owner, uh, tragically died over the summer, which was a big shock to everyone involved. Uh, a rare case of just a universally adored owner by everyone at the club and all fans as well. Um, they had a pretty tricky assignment going to, to Borough on opening day, as we know. Um, was so good under Michael Carrick last season and they won 1-0 with a, you know, it was fitting that the goal came from a homegrown talent in Romain Essa who turned 18 back in May, a brilliant finish into the top corner and they were fully deserving of their win as well. Um, it was, you know, they fell just short of the playoffs last season but Guy Rowett is building something very special there and um, yeah, I think it would have meant a lot to the travelling fans to, to go out to Borough and put in that performance and get a win and see a, a homegrown talent get the goal. All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll do lose one and two. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We're going on tour in November. Six nights 
Um, we're doing uh, London on the 13th of November, Bristol on the 14th, Ben. Very exciting. Um, it's exciting. It's very, you were very excited when that news came out. Manchester on the 15th, then two nights in Dublin, our residency in Dublin on the 20th and the 21st, and Brighton on the 22nd. Um, uh, we're tweeting all about it so you can get tickets uh, that way. We had a really good idea for a video, um, uh, which I thought everyone would just do anyway, but producer Joel thinks it'll be hard to twist the arms of some of the panellists, but uh, the more that do it, the better. Uh, Guardian.com slash FWTOUR23 is the website. Um, uh, League One. Now, producer Joel wrote, there seems to be a dearth of quality in League One this season. Um, uh, He is a Charlton fan, so I suppose he's allowed to say it. I guess, George, like three really good teams went up, didn't they? Ipswich, Plymouth and Sheffield Wednesday. And then Blackpool and Reading and Wigan, who are both in a bit of turmoil, came down. So, it feels open as a division. Yeah, and then even when you look at the four teams that came up from League Two, um, you know, Orient, Stevenage, Carlisle, Northampton, uh, none of them will have major ambitions to to kind of challenge again at the top end of, of League One. Um, whereas if you if you consider that maybe or after opening weekend, maybe not, but the likes of Wrexham, Notts County, Stockport, Salford, if these teams came up, Gillingham, Bradford, you know, they would anticipate that they'd want to, to push straight to the top of League One again. So I totally agree. Like it's... Uh, looks on paper to be a fairly moderate league. Um, Derby and, and Bolton look to be the kind of outstanding couple of teams. Bolton playoff semi-finalists last season. In Ian Everett, they've got a manager who's already won two promotions and, and Bolton kind of progress year on year. Derby under Paul Warren, who normally when he's rather a manager wins this league for fun. Um, and, you know, despite still working under some financial constraints imposed by the EFL, they still have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to, to what they're able to offer players um, in terms of wages and the like. So, uh, yeah, it, it looks well set for a couple of sides who maybe, you know, in League One has generally been fairly predictable in recent seasons. I think this season we're going to have to have one or two teams we maybe didn't anticipate would um, would, would would necessarily be there who will challenge. Although Barnsley was one side that I was um, fairly negative about in, in all our pre-season content and they won 7-0 on opening day. So what do I know? Yeah, and that win, Sani, is so... I mean, it's. I feel more for Port Vale fans, right? You know, just because it was so cold and wet. And in my mind, like Barnsley away is always a seven-hour drive. It turns out it's only one hour 41 from Port Vale, if you presume that all football fans live at the home stadium, which is how we judge these things. So, but even still, that's such a sort of bleak way to open the season if you're a Port Vale fan. Yeah, uh, I, I can only imagine, especially this time of year, there'll be exiled fans who are back back home for the summer, something you'll know all about, you know, and absolutely, they'll have done that, ma- they'll have done an even bigger, bigger journey <laughs> to lose 7-0. Um, I guess with it being the opening day, you can kind of write it off and say, oh, you know, the players are still gelling and Andy Crosby's got loads more to offer, but they did win only one of the final 11 last season as well. So not a good start at all for them. Um, what One nice note though, on the Barnsley uh, side of things, Devante Cole got a hat-trick and the, the, the third goal it like took a bit of a knock as it was it was trickling yes, towards lovely. the line, and uh, very very generous of the the player running in just to let it go. Like Nicky every Cadden. player, I'm gonna think of Nicky Cadden, right? Yeah, just letting it go. Maybe because it wasn't on his on his left foot. I don't know, but it was like a yard <laughs> out, and he, he didn't he didn't go full David Nugent. So well done to him. Yeah, it was a very rare example of complete selflessness. He like shepherded it. It was like he was just shepherding it out of play, wasn't it? Because there were some defenders coming in. He was like, no, 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 this is just going to trickle in. Um, w- Wigan winning at, at Derby, Ben, is that a big surprise? I know Wigan have got this points deduction, but that doesn't mean they're not good. Um, are they likely to be challenging as well? Well, yeah. With, with Wigan, I feel like it's just really hard to know 
what what was coming really. But that is a is a way to kick off. Really encouraging. I do quite like Sean Maloney. Um, showed a lot of calm last season when it was all, you know, lots of upheaval. Obviously, last few months. Um, even in even in the the days before the that that game, they had players uh, terminate their contracts over. Uh, issues about not being paid previously so um lots to deal with there but I would think that's a you know to, to go away to Derby on the opening day and, and pick up a win uh really encouraging I think you know they still have some good players there uh, like a couple of the youngsters but you know they have you know people like Will Keane they've lost um Jack Watmore as well and, you know I think they'll do well to to mix, but I say that I'm going to contradict myself in what you were saying with George earlier because because of how open it is. That kind of, I think the top two. I think there's probably four teams that go into the top two: Bolton, Charlton, Derby, maybe Portsmouth. But those playoff spots feel so open. So you know, if they, if they can, you know, shave off those minus eight points. Obviously, they've already done three of those uh, minus five now. You know, why not? I suppose if they, if they can um, build some momentum. But um, I have to say, I think Sean Maloney's carried himself and carried the club uh, really impressively in the last few months. Ben picked out four then for the top two. I mean, would you go with that sort of Charlton and, and Portsmouth as well? Why Why will they be good or better than last year? In Charlton's case, um, the recruitment has been very impressive. Uh, they, they've gone out and they've signed some kind of proven quality at League One level. Alfie May, who scored over 20 goals the last couple of seasons. Panuche Kamara, who when he's fit, which is you know a question mark because he basically missed all of last season. But when he's fit, I think he's the best centre midfielder in League One. Um, and uh, other, you know, Harry Eister, who had the second half of last season um, at uh, at Barnsley and did very well. Uh, Lloyd Jones, who's a, a decent centre back, you'll know a fair bit about. You know, they've got um, just some some proven quality for the level um, to add to what was already a decent squad as well. So, uh, and and they've got a, a brilliant crop of academy players coming through too. Mars Lieber and the pick of them, Carl Lieber's son, who's, who's currently injured till the end of uh, of September. Um, with Pompey, I'm a little bit less sure. Um, I think often people will can, can mistake bringing in loads of new players for, for going for it. Um, they've definitely had a massive churn of, of players. I think Rich Hughes, their director of football, is 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 very very sharp, and I, I have no doubt that under him that they will improve. But John Massino is a rookie manager. This is his first full season in charge. Um, I'm not necessarily sure. I think they're recruiting to a budget rather than kind of going out and, and, and spending a lot of money to try and try and get themselves promoted. I think it looks like a fair League One squad. I'm sure they'll be in the mix, but I'm not necessarily seeing bags of quality there that will get them um, challenging towards the, the right, the very top end of the table. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's really open. I was kind of confident knocked his chances before Saturday. I still think kind of as, as time goes on, um, there's enough quality in there and a decent manager in Liam Manning that, that they could improve. I think they're, the kind of obituaries around Peterborough are probably a little bit premature as well. Um, they definitely do have some financial issues. Uh, Johnson, Johnson Clark Harris is still at the club, but has been transfer listed and um, is has had the captaincy taken off him. But they still have loads of, of top quality young players. Efren Mason Clark, who scored the goal against Reading on on Saturday with a ridiculous header. It was like a Van Basten header um, from kind of the, the byline that looped over the keeper into the far corner. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they're there again. Um, one, yeah, one one um, team I think might surprise would be Carlisle this season because they've got Paul Simpson uh, still there did a really good job getting them promoted last season they've kept the core of the players uh, Owen Moxon who you might remember uh, was the ex-UPS man uh, who played really well in the playoff final scored a brilliant free kick um, and that was against the Fleetwood side they drew one all in the end and I don't know by the way if there's ever been a club where the owner is in prison and that's the biggest issue around a club because that's what's going on at Fleetwood Town 
What's he in prison for? Um, was it fraud? Isn't it? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm thinking with my like BBC legal head on, but no, yes, it yeah. is fraud, and yeah. uh, you can say that. Yeah, you can if they're in prison. Yeah. I mean, I guess it feel, it feels like an issue. I don't know what the rules are on. You know, we talked a lot about club ownership. Are you allowed to own a club if you're in prison? I mean, it's uh, well, well, no, really, because you, you'd fail the owner's uh, fit and proper persons test, wouldn't you? But but he already, but he already, he's already there. Well, would you? Is the question? I never know. They, <laughs> that's true. I always think they'd say he's in prison now. You're still okay. Come on, then, George. You, you went to the Abbey, and I just say, like, I haven't been for so long, and I know loads of our listeners live overseas and support teams, and they don't get to watch them every now and again. I hadn't been to the Abbey for so long. And like the nostalgia of just seeing the place and it is basically the same. Like it's been tarted up a little bit in places, but it is the same. And, you know, it's just a different set of people running around chasing a ball. But all the people are there. They're a bit older. Um, it was so nostalgic. It was so nice to go. I suspect the result does colour everything, right? And to win 2-0 when I didn't have any expectations because I never do. Uh, especially the second goal was a brilliant, actually a brilliant move. And I don't think I've seen us do that sort of very often in 40 odd years um from an oxford point of view that was pretty was it flat like you've kept the ball a lot you've got good players and i said it on the radio but um if josh mckechran's got a ball patch then we're all getting <laughs> you know what i mean because in my mind he was still 15 but what did you make of it yeah as a, our, our three midfielders at the moment are josh mckechran marcus mcguain and, and cameron brannigan who it feels like in a different universe could have been the, the england midfield tri- tri- trio given <laughs> yeah. given their youth yeah. careers yeah, it was, it was disappointing. I, I'm kind of a believer that a, a good pre-season can often be a precursor for a really poor start. I, I, I think that often complacency can creep in. And, and I, after Oxford beat QPR 5-0 on a Saturday before the season started, um, the general feeling was was that we were um, going to walk the league, I think, amongst um, certain fans. Um, and yeah, it was a really flat start. Cambridge were, were by far the better side in the first half. Um, you know, Gassana had me as a, a striker who, you know, He's brilliant. He's so good. And I think it definitely was the correct call by the referee. But I think if you have a referee who is willing to let him be as physical as he wants to be, which that one did, then centre-backs can't really live with him because he is right up in their face. He's so good in the air, uh, runs a lot. Um, you know, when he's at it like that, there will be other refs. I think he'll call him out on it and then it's going to be hard for him to be as effective. But, um, you know... My, from my point of view, your centre-backs were all over him and he should have got a lot more. Wow. So, that just shows... That yeah. is football fandom in a <laughs> nutshell. It really is. It really is. And I'm not just saying that for effect. I was really like, come on, you've got to give him something. You know, but I, I, I agree personally and I, I I think that's how a centre-forward should be should be able to, to be physical against centre-backs. So maybe it was a case that the ref just got it right and let them both kind of go at it with each other. Uh, yeah, I, I thought the second half Oxford drew, grew into the game more, but it's always easy to grow into a game when you're 2-0 down against a low block because you just have a lot of the ball. Ruben Rodriguez is someone who you know got 18 goals and 14 assists last season for Lance County. I thought in the second half he showed Oxford fans that we've got quite a special player there. You know, he was able to unlock um, that, that low block a couple of times. But, you know, Cambridge with Michael Morrison and, and Ryan Bennett as centre-backs. Um, you know, that's an experienced duo. I think at home, given the way that Cambridge have, have kind of, um, you know, we know it's a very small, narrow pitch, which helps the way the Mark Bond likes to set the team up. I, I, I do worry that away from home when the pitch is a bit bigger, maybe the lack of pace of those two might be exposed a little bit. I mean, you make it sound like it, you make it sound like an alleyway there. I mean, it's like <sighs> within the legal. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, there, there, there is an alleyway <laughs> behind the goal. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only stadium in the UK where, where, where teams can do their 
pre-match warm-up behind the goal because there's like another little five-a-side pitch there because they've yeah. uh, they've pulled it forward so much. But um, it's a strange design. That is true. Yeah. Well um, done. Enjoy I, your three uh, points, Max. <laughs> thanks very much. Uh, what's happening in Reading, Ben? Because they had a transfer embargo. Did they sort? Of, did it sort of stop for a week where they could get loads of players and then start again? Because they did bring some players in, or they were allowed to bring in released footballers. Yeah. No. So they were under embargo. They were under embargo for about two years, and then they had a by Reading standards in the last few years, a really positive week. They regained their Category 1 academy status. They got their manager, Ruben Sellers, actually rubber-stamped in the door after, I think it was sort of over two weeks of kind of, yeah, he is the manager, but not officially able to actually start work yet, which is just, you know, (laughs) interesting. Um, And then, crucially, they came out of embargo, only to then find themselves back in it for a period last week. Um, as you say, in that in-between period, a sort of flurry of arrivals, um, Robbie Savage's son, Charlie, among others, Lewis Wing. And in Wing's case in particular, I think, you know, it's pretty good uh, get in League One. And then the Reading uh, owners and, and Reading as a club, who I have to say have been really, really silent uh, for, for quite some time now, then took the step of uh, releasing a statement last week saying that, oh, no, we, we do actually, you know, quite fancy a, a bit of investment to, to help us out here, which was long overdue, really, from from fan side. Uh, I think it's really concerning there, the way that it seems like, and from a couple of people I've spoken to, that it seems like almost the owner, who you know, who's a... Who, it's a hard one, because he, he has spent loads of money, almost well, somewhere around 250 million, but has absolutely nothing to show for it. But he, he is an absent owner. And they... Well, the people who work there, I think think he thinks he only will get involved when you know really really needs to when it, something really uh disastrous is about to happen okay suddenly right well, well i'll come up with the funds I'll, I'll make it happen which is kind of what we've seen over the last few weeks and different instances you know just as people are kind of at, at boiling point really oh yeah the money just arrived just in time but it's no way to run a football club it's certainly no way to go forward i feel really sorry for for some of the the people behind the scenes there who are obviously trying to do really good work but ultimately are um you know, uh, yeah, powerless, really. Um, I really think it's going to be a season of, of struggle for them, to, to be honest, Max. I think um, in the way they've started, I mean, by all accounts, I think they played OK on, on the weekend, but I just think it's such a mess. And when I spoke to fans there a few weeks ago for a piece, you know, that one of the points made by uh, one of the, I think it was the chair of the Supporters Trust said, OK, well, this is fine and hopefully we'll get out of it, but then for how long? And I think that's kind of the overarching sense there is, OK, you know, we need a long-term solution. And at the moment, we're just getting little short-term kind of papering over the crack uh, jobs. Uh, Interleague 2, um, Fraser says, can we please stop getting carried away about teams promoted from the Vanarama Bin League and then presuming that they'll automatically do really well in League 2? In reality, how they'll perform will be far more uncertain. And Cabernosti says, will Wrexham ask to reshoot their game with MK Dons? How did MK Dons become the good guys? Um, yeah, Sonny, is it bad now that I was sort of quite pleased that Wrexham and also Notts County who who shouldn't be in this you know like I don't know if they've got investment they came up but sort of quite pleased that they both lost yeah uh, they Wrexham in particular become every EFL fans bogey team um, you know without biting the fan hand that feeds me you know Sky Sports News doing a lot on Wrexham and you wonder you know would they be doing it on another League 2 team I won't say much more than that but you know the, the thing about it is though right and this is kind of my philosophical position is yes 
all this hype around Wrexham. Yes, they've got all this money and they brought in all these players and, you know, they, they signed Paul Mullin who dropped down two divisions at the time to join them. And, you know, it was breaking news in the yellow ticker bar when he was injured on pre-season. But it is bringing a new a new set of fans to football, to lower league football, to to something away from the hype, you know, away from the Premier League summer series and all that stuff. So from a from a general position of, I suppose it's quite good that there's that much investment in a football club in League Two. It can only be generally okay, better for the league to have that sort of uh, spotlight. But yeah, they're everyone's team to beat now, uh, and rightly so. Um, you know, I in my you know years gone by, I brought the drum as a Berry fan to Wrexham, told to shove it up my ass. You know, so I always have that <laughs> in the back of my mind. So hang on a second, you were, well, you, you were the drummer. Like, yes, I was drummer wow. boy. For Berry, wow. yeah, I, I uh, kind of decided I'd stop because you can't be doing it sideways. Your first yeah, eight. of course, of course, sideways. Yeah, <laughs> that's the. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's not not the thing to do when you work in radio, though. It, it really isn't good for your hearing. So that that was one reason that, and being surrounded by like fourteen year olds, uh, there comes a point where you probably need to just yeah sidestep away from that very much. Forty so. five year old man, I've still got this. Bang, bang what's <laughs> yeah. going on? Who's that? He's not with us. Um, what, what, I mean. Is that the right thing for? I think it's. I think Sally's right, isn't he, George? They've been great, you know, and they're nice people, and they're doing great stuff for the community. And you're allowed to appreciate all of that, and also find it funny when they lose on the opening day. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the the, the noise around Wrexham kind of takes away from the fact that it's great to have you know an EFL stalwart and a a big club kind of revived. Um, I, I don't really care very much about Wrexham's global fan base, but I do care about their local fan base. who have gone from having a team that was that was really down on its haunches to, to one that's now, you know, upwardly mobile and, and, and very ambitious. Um, in terms of the first question, it's interesting because, you know, Wrexham were the favourites to uh, win League Two before uh, opening day last season. Stockport were the favourites. The season before that, Salford were the favourites. So you're seeing consistently that the team who and Salford didn't even win League, uh, didn't even win uh, National League, um, but when they came up, they were still favourites. And you see, this is generally the tre- the trend. But normally, teams at the top of nas- the National League do perform very well. You know, Stockport were the fourth place team last season. I think, in some measures, in my mind at least, they're probably the best team in the league and were fairly unlucky not to to, to, to win an automatic promotion. Salford also played a semi-finalist last season. Tranmere did it, went back-to-back a couple of years ago. I got in big trouble for saying that Bristol Rovers were the last team to go back-to-back and a lot of Tranmere fans were messaging saying, excuse me, especially because we had them 20th in our predictions. It wasn't a particularly good way to, to win them over. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there is a precedent in my mind that if you are a, a team coming up with the National League it's very rare that you are going to struggle towards the bottom end Hartlepool were the only ones who where that really happened and that was because Dave Challenger their manager left um, after taking them up so you know I, I wouldn't with Notts County they had a man sent off after 15 minutes at Sutton the fact that these two teams conceded 10 goals um I wouldn't be writing either Notts County or, or Wrexham off at this stage. I still think there's probably quite a big likelihood that at least one of them, probably both of them, will be involved at the, in the in the automatic promotion race um, at the end of the season. I, ben, I, I mean, I like the shit housing Sutton centre forward who just waved at the goalkeeper. You know, you know the uh, the Notts County keeper just kept waving at him as he was complaining about his red card. But who, who are your picks from uh, Wrexham and, and Notts County aside? Who are your picks from League Two? Yeah, I mean, I would say Stockport. And I also think, I do think the Wrexham kind of mania, for want of a better phrase, is really good news for Stockport and, and even Notts County, to be honest, because I think both of those will really uh, fancy their chances of, of winning promotion. Um, I think Stockport have just kind of 
assembled their own kind of all stars. I know Wrexham are the ones that get all of the all of the noise and all of the attraction, but you know Stockport have have got a bit of financial muscle as well, and you know they they've signed some really exciting players. Louis Barry's just joined on loan from Villa, who I suppose we've kind of been waiting to to take off. I mean, if you remember, he got that move to Barcelona a few years ago. They've got Nick Powell, obviously, once of Manchester United. You know, there's, there's a few, you know, very talented players around. Um, and I think they went close last year. I, I, they'd be my pick, I think, to to go up. And I think Wrexham dominating sort of the headline, certainly, it, I think is quite helpful to Stockport, who, if, if Wrexham weren't in the division this year, I think a lot of the focus would have been on, on Stockport and um, and their kind of financial uh, approach. I think the, the the big question is going to be if Phil Parkinson's time at Wrexham, you know, if they don't make the good start and they look to make a change, who is going to be the new Wrexham manager? Because surely they're going to want someone who is marketable, whose profile will, will help their brand and, and the rest of it. Ooh, you know, Allardyce. Frank Lampard. You think Lamps? Could, could he yeah. be turning up at <laughs> Megan Rapinoe? Why not? Impossible. You know, yeah. That's fascinating. Isn't Make it? the storylines. Well, just to yeah, well, just to go back actually to to Notts County losing losing five one, not a great start for them. But Joe Kizzy for Sutton had one of the games of his life. Thirty years old, played his entire career in non-league till he came up with Sutton, scored one, set up another. Um, and I know that two years ago he was um, on trial or playing training with Alexandra Park, one of those like non-league teams when when football went professional or stayed. Uh, amateur and Alexandra Park Corinthians one of those both of those teams kind of stayed amateur and Kizzy was was training because my mate played they're in, they're in the Southern Amateur League yeah, Ali yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I've played on that hill so so he he was playing with them and uh, he couldn't displace the player manager in that team <laughs> and he was farmed out to like different positions and then my mate was like oh, have you heard this player called Joe Kizzy we had him for a bit I think he's gone to Sutton like, yeah yeah he's been to Sutton he's been promoted uh, so you always look out for him and think there's a player who couldn't displace like this aging player manager centre half <laughs> and there he is now playing league football there's, there's probably loads of players like that out there uh, and yeah, so Kizzy have, having the game of his life, 5-1. Yeah, and a testament to his commitment to keep going because that could be enough to go, maybe maybe I'll try <laughs> something else. Um, George, Crawley and Morecambe are both sort of in in difficulties, I think. Um, and we don't have hours to talk about them and they can be, they're quite complex situations, I think, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the, the Crawley one is has been going on for a year or so now with Wagme United um, buying them, um, the Crypto Bros, as they're called, Uh and last season was a total and utter mess. Um, the, the relationship between the owners and the fans is is, is not good. The fan base kind of united in, in wanting them out. Um, Scott Lindsay, the manager, came in at the back end of last season and, and got the results needed to keep them up. And he is very popular. They've shipped out a lot of their players that you know that, that the fan base would call their best players um, and recruited a lot from non-league. But it started well with a, a 1-0 win over Bradford. Um, Bradford down to 10 men um, around about halfway um, but Crawley looked okay so despite being favourites relegation there was kind of good news there and also at Morecambe where you know this is one of those where you've kind of got to be careful what you say but they have had you know there was talk initially of Tyson Fury possibly buying the club it ended up being uh, Sabrit Johal um, who was the prospective owner some question marks on social media around the um, validity of his ownership bid the takeover as of yet hasn't happened and I think Morecambe kind of need to be bought at some point it feels like um so uncertainty behind the scenes there as well the extent of which we just don't know it's all kind of hearsay um but a, a 2-1 win for them on their return to, to league two um 
big his big news with it with a late goal. Um, Derek Adams is so important there, and, and I really think for his managerial career, like it's going to be crucial that he sees his future at Morecambe because if he walks away, especially with the the, the issues off the pitch. Um, I do fear that they could be returning back to, to non-league. All right, that'll do for uh, the EFL. Uh, we'll do a bit on the Community Shield next. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we've got a Premier League preview Wednesday and Thursday, so we're not going to do too much on Arsenal winning on penalties. Mark says, what's the uh, percentage split of Arsenal celebrations between winning the Community Shield versus beating City and gaining that confidence as an Arsenal fan? The latter means more personally. Uh, first time Arsenal have beaten Man City in three years. Do you think it makes any difference, Ben? I mean, they were. I think it's fair enough. If you're at a game where there's a trophy on offer, you're allowed to celebrate, right? It's good. It's good for morale. But I don't think anyone really takes it seriously, do they? Yeah, that, it's an interesting one. I actually think, given the way last season kind of unravelled for Arsenal and obviously the fact it was City who were ahead of them and went on to win it, I think it was quite a big result. Just in terms of what it does for Arsenal sort of mentally and all of that kind of stuff. All of the all of the stuff that now this week and in preparation for the for the Premier League, I just think is I think it's quite, you know, it's helpful for that. I think it'll just give them that little boost. Obviously new new players in the building. I think for Arteta it's good. I think for I think for I think for Arsenal it's a really valuable win. Obviously the, the trophy is kind of just the, the sideshow really. And I think obviously for the fans there they had a great day. I heard somebody say, you know, for Man City, it was just like, you know, another trip to Wembley. For Arsenal, it just felt a bit more uh, special, if that's the right word, more generally. But I actually think in winning it, beating City, regardless of how they did it, I think it's quite potentially quite a powerful tool. I have to say, I wasn't sure about Arsenal this season in terms of sort of competing and going close again. But I think Rice is obviously a, a good, uh, good signing or very good signing. I still think City will... I still think they'll struggle to sort of overthrow City but um, I think for Arsenal it's a really good start and when I look at the sort of contenders for for the title I'm struggling to see anyone probably beyond City and Arsenal again really I think maybe Liverpool but I, I can't see United in the current sort of guy so um, yeah for Arsenal really good start Sani I mean it, it, I guess it is but then, you know, it's it's one massively deflected shot away from just being, oh, City won this again. I mean, like results dictate the narrative, I guess. And winning the penalty shootout does give you that confidence. Yeah. And Darren Ramsdale um, talked about a mental block going by winning this game. But yeah, it is, it is just the community shield. And, you know, I, I try not to engage with it too much, actually. Funnily enough, because it is well, just... Sort of, the, sort of on a sort of, on an ethical level. Well, c- kind of, just because it's, you know... It, it is just a meaningless friendly. And this time last year, everyone was going, oh, Erling Haaland didn't perform well. You know, will, will he actually do the business? And, you know, clearly, yes, was the answer there, resoundingly so. Um, but then I saw, you know, the, the opening goal from from Man City, uh, from from Palmer, was, was brilliant. And, you know, he's a player who's really kind of knocking on the door, trying to get involved in that side. You know, uh, and yeah, Arsenal... The way they managed to come back, yes, in the final, what it was, 111th minute or something, um, and winning on penalties. Yeah, I think for them, with the way the season fell apart last season, it, it meant a lot more than, than the usual. Um, and yeah, for City, they didn't really care. I know fans had actually organised a boycott uh, around the game because of its kickoff time and had asked supporters to instead donate to the Man City Food Bank. And I know they've raised like 10,000 
£100, uh, which covered the entire summer window of food when they weren't collecting because there was obviously no matches played there. So th- there's that wider issue around, you know, why have this game, where to have it and when to have it. But for, it means a lot to Arsenal, not really much to City. Um, and yeah, for Arsenal, they're kind of putting a lot of stock in this. And I guess after last season, fair play to them. Aaron writes, Aaron Ramsdale, a different Aaron, uh, wrote in his excellent Players' Tribune piece that he always listens to football podcasts in the car. Question is, how much of his success does he owe to Barry? And could owe it to you, George. Could be a not the top 20 uh, listener, couldn't he? But um, hope so. That piece, and I, I, you know, I don't know if you've all read it, but it was amazingly open, talking about his, his you know, brother coming out and, and how he will deal with homophobia, talking about his um, part having a miscarriage which is you know it happens a lot in life and people don't ever talk about that and it's a sort of stigma surrounding that and it and actually he talks about Arteta George in a way that really you know shows that this guy is not just a good tactician but is excellent at working with young men sort of trying to find their way in life yeah I thought the whole piece was really important um in, in an age where the the levels of media training within football especially at that level means you rarely get much of an insight into into who the person is and I think that is frankly fairly negative because I think that means that when you get fans abusing players on the pitch and stuff it's because they don't really feel any personal connection towards them if you compare it to how football was kind of 20 or 30 years ago where you know even though they were there was the the culture of celebrity there was certainly a more human aspect to the the you know the the flaws and, and the rest of things were, were more were more laid bare. I also think for Ramsdale to use his platform in order to um, drive inclusivity to to help the ridiculous situation within football that we still have around the the lack of um, you know representation of of the LGBT community within men's football is you know is something that needs to be to be remedied in time. And I think for Ramsdale to use his platform in order to promote the inclusivity is is massive. So like, all credit to him and. You know, it's it's good to know that a guy who's going to be wearing an England shirt for the next ten years, and we're going to see on our screens, is is someone that we can all root for. Really, George is spot on there about about characters, and just going off on a slight tangent. Eddie Hearn was interviewed during the Ashes and, and TMS during one of the the breaks for lunch, talking about the characters in in boxing and the characters in darts, and how cricket is missing that, and you don't really hear anything about what players are like. And the same applies to football. Like we, yeah, like you say, George, we don't know anything about these players. And we haven't got that connection. Uh, and it, it's the it's the sport and the noise that it sustains it. You know, it's a great product anyway, is football. But if we heard more from these players, it'd be even better. You know, it'd be so much better if we can just get away from this, this media-trained world. Um, uh, and yet, for, for Ramsdale to come out and do that, especially when you think in the wider context of what Jordan Henderson's previously said, and, and now he's gone to Saudi Arabia, you know, fair play to him. Uh, for some a minority we use as a stick to beat him with at any point but you know the fact he's he's been brave enough to do that we, we need more players doing that because there's actually loads of loads of funny interesting people in football we just don't hear from them Matthew says on a slightly different note I think the Community Shield is the worst looking trophy in English football any advances on that so look let's look okay we can we can, we can break it down can we? the Premier League trophy is okay the Championship trophy the old Division 1 trophy is beautiful the FA Cup is timeless the League Cup is a bit shit. Um, the UEFA Cup is absolutely beautiful, and the Champions League trophy is the beautiful. EFL trophy is horrific. Oh, is it? Is it changed? Is it's it ch- massive. It's absolutely what, huge. It? It's it's like it's like a huge kind of vase. Oh, is that the EFL trophy? Is in the JPT LDV vans thing? Right. Yeah. What does that mm. look like? Let me have a look at that. It's a bit like a budget UEFA Cup. One of my favourite trophies was one 
pre-season. I think Villa won it a few years ago, and it was a player bursting out of a football. Oh, okay. Do you remember that one? Right. It was it was something else, epic, uh, like massive. Like you, you'd have, you'd need a whole trophy cabinet just to store it. Yeah. The, the, these pre-season trophies, I think that's where the real money's at. It's the Stanley Cup is absolutely enormous, and I might. It's, it's not obviously it's not an area of my expertise, but. Uh, the Stanley Cup trophy. Uh, NASCAR, doesn't that have a massive one? IndyCar? Yes. Stan- Indy 500? The, the Stanley Cup is like they put all the winners. So it's like it's like plinth on plinth on plinth on plinth on plinth. Like it just never ends. They just keep adding more bits. I presume they keep adding bits to the bottom of it. But yeah, absolutely enormous. Like a Jenga. Yeah, sort of like, yeah, like Jenga, but you, you don't, they don't play sort of pull the plinths off. Sort of very, that like, would just be after good. you've won with your ice hockey gloves on would be tricky feel like we've done enough today uh thanks everybody enjoyed that uh thanks for your time sanny oh hang on before we leave just before the pod sanny you said you used to live next door to who bernard manning the bernard manning notorious racist comedian <laughs> how what was he like as a name was it you know was he actually like really charming in real life like what or was he equally was he equally vulgar no no he was he, he was lovely actually so you know kick the ball over I'd knock on, he'd be there in the string best, Rabsy Nesbitt style, come in, come in, come and get your ball. Uh, and, you know, there'd be ashtrays everywhere. I'd get my ball, and he'd always give me something random. Uh, one time it was like four litres of Pepsi Max. Another time it was um, a massive jar of pickled onions. Uh, and then one time he just gave me like a CD of him covering Rat Pack songs. Just like him doing Sinatra and stuff. Four litres of Pepsi Max seems a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> For how old were you at the time? Uh, would have been yeah, eight or nine. He, you oh. know, he, he lived next to us till he, till he sadly passed away. But he right. was a he was a lovely neighbour. Um, okay. He got on well with my old man. Uh, but then he also wrote us into a stand up routine involving my oh, old no. man then being kicked into bollocks. So yeah, right. that probably wasn't the nicest way to end that. that was Pepsi Max sugar free? I'm trying to think just how how buzzing you think been it is. Four liters of that. Um, anyway, uh, you know that's. That's an interesting, interesting tidbit. You were there at the death of Bernard Manning. I don't know how long we should talk about this. Um, uh, anyway, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Sunny. Pleasure. Uh, cheers, George. Thank you, Max. Good luck in the return game, George. That's See you there. for you, yeah. Oh, you probably won't. We'll have a Premier League preview <laughs> on Wednesday and Thursday. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian.